0: Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, madam. Have you heard of gentleman by the name of Bud Herseth? You have? That's great. Well, right now you can get a 57 minutes audio titled Trumpet Lessons with Adolf Herseth for free. Just go to lessonswithbud.com to learn more. Bringing the finest trumpeters from around this planet Earth, sharing their stories that will thrill and inspire your trumpet journey, here's your host, James Newcomb. And now let's talk to our featured guest for today, Mr. Adrian Griffin. Adrian, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. You know, I forgot to ask you before we started recording, what exactly do you do? I know you're in Mexico and you play trumpet somewhere, so tell us, <laughs> get a- us up to speed what, what you're up to.
1: Sure. Uh, well, I first came to Mexico as the co-principal trumpet in the Monterey Symphony Orchestra, and then I moved to the Jalisco Philharmonic and was principal trumpet there for seven years. And then I was able to come back here to Monterey and win the principal position, and i the been here for a few years now, and I'm the principal trumpet in the Monterey Symphony Orchestra in Monterey,
0: Mexico. Yeah, that's great. I think my brother played in that orchestra. Oh, really? His name was Dave. This is a long, long time ago. And okay. he actually met his wife there.
1: Oh, excellent. Hey, that's <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's not a bad thing.
0: All right. Well, Adrian, this is a podcast about peak musical performance, and to get to the peak, sometimes you have to go through some valleys, and I like to start each interview with uh, what you consider to be one of your worst moments as a performer. It's just a time where things just didn't go as you thought, you walked in thinking you're going to do great, and for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. Can you think of a story like that?
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can't. Um, I was, uh, kind of new here in Mexico and we were playing a tune, which is equivalent to the national anthem here in Mexico, uh, called Wapango. And, um, we were three quarters of the way through, um, the concert program and I was feeling tired, but not too bad. And, you know, Wapango was on the, on that second half of the program. And we get to we get to Wapango, We're playing it, and uh, Wapango is famous for a, a trombone and trumpet duel. And there's these solos going back and
0: forth.
1: So on and so forth. And so you know, I had I had played it, you know, many many times, but you know, still still somewhat a fresh fish here. <laughs> And anyway, so we're playing this, and um, oh, so the the music that you get here sometimes is is you know horrible old copies that are really hard to read and and uh, are destroyed in some parts. You can't see some notes. So man. I had made my I had made my own uh, copy of it. And uh, so anyway, okay, so anyway, so we're playing through this piece. We're we're we the solos, and the trombone comes in. He's just man, he's just wailing. I'm just doing his thing, and then I come in. And I just play the first solo really, really nice and then turn my page and realize that the next three of my pages or four of my pages are all out of order. Oh, no. And uh, <laughs> so what, what happens was uh, being somewhat scared and not knowing what to do next, I'm frantically in these measures rest looking for where, where's the next page? Where's the next page? And I played the solo a hundred times at this point even I mean this is how much we do it here and so I I think I know it from memory but I'm not sure and I'm not <laughs> willing to test that in the middle of a a really nice elegant concert and so nothing happens and my the trombone player finishes his solo and it's my turn to come back in and there's just mm, ch- mm,
0: ch- oh
1: Trombone player comes back in with his solo, and I'm still looking for it, still looking for this music. And this, at this point, I'm just I'm, – I'm frazzled. Mm. So long story short, that uh, – it only got one, one third of the trumpet solo in that concert. Oof. And uh, it was um, a very humbling moment. To say at the end of the concert, you know, people, you know, generally after the concert, people are like, "Hey, you know, hey, what's going on? Let's go, and we'll have a drink or hang out." And you know, it was just like crickets. It was, not, it was yeah, it was not a nice place to be backstage. <laughs> yeah.
0: Man, that's rough. Yeah. So, has this ever happened? Anything like this ever happened since then?
1: Uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, I have always, always make sure. Um, And now several, 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 several years later, I made it always a habit at this point, almost, you know, seven years later to show up. I'm at the hall an hour and a half early Hmm. uh, each week uh, for concert night, uh, each concert night. And uh, I constantly first thing I do is I go to my stand and I make sure all my music is on my stand. And if it's in leaflets, I make sure the music is in order. And where it goes, and the section knows that if uh, someone's going to be uh, playing the uh, associate principal position, mm-hmm. you know, in a concerto or something, to not mess with my music uh, for reasons they don't need to know, but <laughs> I guess they do now. Um, but to leave my music alone, and, and it is how it is for the concert that night. So that's that's my ritual every uh, every week, every every time I step into the hall, I go to my chair. I put my stuff down, I get my trumpet out, and I look at my music, make sure all the music is there, pages are in order, we're ready to go, I close my folder, I go back off stage and warm up in the room.
0: Wow. You know, um, Rex Richardson was on this podcast a couple, I guess a couple of weeks before this one is going live, and he told a story. We had two stories to answer this question, and the first one was recently, and Rex, most of us listening to this know that he's like he's a great performer obviously and he had he was playing a, a concerto and just he just he just was playing in a in a different key horn than he ordinarily plays and he just forgot the fingerings or he just was playing the fingerings on long story short it just really sounded terrible right. and uh, but he was able to laugh it off but the second story was that he was in college and he really really screwed up uh, a story up really badly. And, uh, the difference between those two stories was that experience just taught him, you know what? I screwed up and life goes on. And what do you think? Like, I guess what I'm asking you is if something like that were to happen today, do you think you would react differently or how would you, how would you react if something like that were to happen?
1: Well, I think after anything, uh, uh, tra- traumatic is not the right word. I mean, it's, it's something that happens, but it's not, you know, a traumatic at life event. <laughs> it, it can be <laughs> if, if you let it be. If but, you do
0: it too many times, it can be.
1: Yeah. Well, obviously <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, through my schooling and my teachers a long time ago and things of that nature, you learn, you you do it once. Okay. But not twice. Right. So it's, 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 uh, it's habitual for me. It's, it's a habit as much as, brushing my teeth and combing my hair and you know practicing every day. It's something I sit down and do before every concert. and uh, if it were to happen something were to happen, well then it was just it would be something that is beyond my handling because the first time it happened, I knew it was my fault like I just didn't I, I didn't sit down, I didn't go through my music. I just assumed that everything was going to function mm. correctly that night. right I just assumed that all the why I mean why would the pages not be in order? I don't know. Uh, so uh, now I don't take any assumptions and, uh, into the into the mix at all. So basically I just really uh, – I take my – as much as I can, I take my human air out of it. Mm-hmm. And if something happens beyond that, well, it may happen. But at least I know that I did everything I could not to let it happen. So I, it takes it, – it feels a lot better that
0: way. So many actions that we do as we get older are – reactions to stupidity in our youth, isn't it? <laughs> oh, oh, yes, very exactly much. <laughs> all right, let's talk about when you, all of your music is in order and, like, everything is going great, like you just feel like you're on fire. What does it feel like for you? How 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 are things going when you just feel like you can't do wrong on the trumpet? Or um, Can you think of a moment like that?
1: Yeah, we were in Serpentino playing the... Um the music festival there in Guanajuato and we had just finished, uh, Chike's fifth symphony. And, uh, I mean, everything was, everything, the orchestra was functioning as a, as a, as a high end Ferrari. I mean, everything was just unfired into the concert. You know, people were happy in the orchestra. The audience was clapping. We were getting a standing ovation. Things were, things were well. And the only thing I can, the, the thing that I felt the most was that it was mission accomplished. Hmm. But not from what you might think. It, it didn't come from a trumpet point of view. It came from a musical point of view of just that, wow, okay, this is – when this piece is done correctly, when this piece is done at the level that this piece was written mm. and intended to be performed, it will incite the reaction from people as such. Mm. So, and there's been performances when I've played, I've played Chuck five many, many times. And, you know, there are sometimes there's crickets afterwards. Sometimes, you know, there's, there's rave review and sometimes there's, you know, it's it's more or less, but we, as trumpet players are all familiar with that symphony. We all know it and cheer it, stand up and play it in our house and love it (laughs) and dream of playing it on stage. And, and when that genius's work is done correctly, it has no way but to incite enthusiasm in the audience members, mm. and at that moment it was like, yeah okay we d- we did this, not just me as a trumpet player, right. I mean I play you know I'm just putting my notes in the chords where they need to go, but the music fulfilled its accomplishment.
0: That's a collective victory, yes, rather than a private victory. So. Ah, very nice, yeah, I so man, all right, you play principal trumpet, obviously. It's very physically demanding. It's probably uh, psychologically demanding in some ways. But um, what are some things that you do to make sure that you bring your A game to rehearsal to performances every time? Any tips, techniques that you can share with us?
1: Uh, I try to approach uh, our our concerts are you know we have rehearsals on Monday, and they continue through the week. I don't really have uh too much downtime, but when I do, I'm studying for the next the next week. Mm. Or if I'm caught up, I'm studying for the next couple of weeks or if I'm caught up, I'm studying for the next month or or whatever, however far I can get ahead.
0: Well, what does it mean to be caught up?
1: Um, well we'll get the we'll get the season in say January mm-hmm. and we'll start in mid-January. So, during my vacation time, I'm going and you know, I'm just touching base on all the season's works, okay. on what what do I really know? Well, what's down? What's okay? I really need to look at this again. And oh, last time I did this, this was weird. Hmm. Maybe I'll try a different mute this time, or you know, hey, I'm going to play this on E flat this time because I think it's going to lie a lot easier. As the week, as as the season comes, I, I'm feeling like I've I've read the story. I know the ending somewhat. I just have to reiterate what I've what I've been studying. If the next season comes out, or the third season, depending on some just put the whole year out. So you could be. You could be in month January, but you're studying for month June, and you're looking at what's happening in June. Hmm. And because sometimes you have to do that. You might have you might have really big rep in January, and then it's light in February, and then March all of a sudden you have to play the Hummel trumpet concerto or, or tuning or something with the orchestra. Or you might just have to play a big Mahler symphony, and during that light month you need to – be able to make sure you're planning for still being able to play the heavy hitters hmm. in March and not just sitting back and playing Haydn and, and Mozart and your ones and fives and just relaxing. So you're constantly studying, looking forward to what the next the next thing is going to be, so you're prepared and nothing comes as a right as a curveball.
0: Yeah, I guess you're just planning months and months in advance, so that when oh, yeah. you sit down at the rehearsal, it's just it's almost like you've you've already got it basically rehearsed and. In- personally now let's just yeah, put it I, all together
1: i think for most professional working orchestral musicians monday is not a rehearsal for obviously not notes or, or things of that nature right. it's 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 just time monday i'm ready for monday i'm ready for the concert at the end of the end of the week hmm. but i want to learn and i want to put into action that conductor's wisdom and thoughts about that piece that he's conducting so i come in knowing that okay we're going to do chike five the last time i did it you know i got everything going how i want to do it now on monday i'm ready to go but you just tell me how you want to do it and let's do that and i try to follow his guidelines or her guidelines as well as i can to the style and story that they want to tell because it's going to be a different story between each conductor that comes to do the same piece each year that or every cycle that comes around
0: do you, ever have, do you ever have conductors that you find difficult to follow?
1: Uh, no, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Name names. No, just kidding.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. Just, sometimes Sometimes my stand might be higher than it needs to be some weeks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, we're about to have Adrian sit on the hot seat. But before we do that, we're going to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Adrian, you are now on the hot seat. Do you think you can stand the heat?
1: I think I can. I hope I can.
0: <laughs> All right. It's five minutes before you go on stage for a performance. What are you doing?
1: Typically, I'm having a glass of water backstage and talking with talking with uh, my colleagues. I'm relaxed, if, as much as I can be. I'm trying to be as As in the moment as I can. I can't be worried about what's going to happen. If if I'm prepared, you know, there's a big difference between being nervous and being – between being nervous and and having anticipation. They both kind of feel the same, but if you know the difference between the two, Hmm. it can definitely change your life. So typically, I'm excited and anticipating backstage. I'm having a glass of water. I'm sitting down. I'm looking over the program, reading program notes, talking with my colleagues, getting ready to go do a good performance. Now, if you see somebody pacing backstage and they're just going crazy and stuff, a lot of that, I believe, from my own experience, comes from not being ready to execute something. <laughs> or, or it's just someone that is dealing with a, a, a very bad case of nerves, and that happens to a lot of us. Yeah, You know, you're you, you're prepared, but you're nervous. But for me, I've tried to uh, I try to try to follow I try to follow the guideline of um, you can't be nervous to play a, a principal trumpet in an orchestra. You yeah. just can't. It, as soon as you start to back away and as soon as you start to be timid in bad ways, it, it, it's a train and a run right over you. So I try, to hang, I try to hang out and be as cool-minded as I can. Uh, sometimes, you know, in, in my own mind, there's stuff. There's obviously that train of thought that's going on, that record that's playing. But I try to always keep that record happy. I try to never let it be dark. I try to never let it be wondering what's going to happen. Because, I mean, I can't wonder about something that's going to happen. I can only deal with something when it does happen. So I try to be as chilled out as I can. And just enjoy the moment, enjoy the ride, because it took a long time to get here, and I don't want to worry about it now that I'm here, you know, 10, 11, 12 years later after playing, yeah. I want to enjoy the music and enjoy the ride.
0: I love that. Nervous and anticipation. That's a great, that's a great illustration. I wrote that down. I hope you guys are listening to this, writing that down, too. All right. What it, is it the...
1: Feels, it feels exactly the same. It feels exactly huh. the same, it, but it's, it's the difference of knowing of knowing the difference of what it is, whether you're nervous and nervous nervousness, I believe comes from unpreparedness of not knowing what's going to happen. If you're nervous about an interview because you don't know what's going to happen. If you're nervous about playing a concerto, it's, it's, you don't know what the results going to be, or your anticipations are so high that you're going to sound like uh, a, like brain out there that you want to sound so fantastic, but you don't know if you can, or knowing that I prepared, and I'm good. I'm good to go. And that feeling of excitement washes out the feeling of nervousness. And once you accept that, then the body starts to calm down. The sweaty hands go away. The, the running conversation in the head of you're going to fail. You're going to fail goes away. The heart rate slows down. And it's like, yeah, you are prepared. You are ready to do this. And your body responds to what your mind is thinking. And that's why it's so, so important to know the difference between being nervous and being excited or anticipating.
0: All right. What is the best performance-related advice you've ever received? Don't suck. Okay.
1: <laughs> no. Um, no. 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 That's, that's fine. <laughs> My teacher, um, she used to say that to us sometimes. Just, just go out there and play good, but don't suck.
0: I think uh, the Cubs manager, Joe Madden, that's like his mantra is, "Try not to suck." <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and look at them they won the world series last year
1: exactly exactly and that's what it's all about is yeah. just i mean it, it really is it's just it's it's enjoying the fruits of your labor and and knowing that you that your work is not over once you get the job it's just beginning hmm. the easiest part of 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 getting a job is winning the job the hardest part is keeping it
0: yeah all right can you share a tip for listeners since we're on the topic who might be dealing with stage fright?
1: You know, there's all kinds of books and there's all kinds of ideas, all kinds of medicines, all kinds of stories, ideas, yogis, helmets that you put on your head and the lights shine down and, and make you a better athlete or musician or whatnot. There's a lot of stuff out there. I, I really feel it comes down to the individual and not knowing, not knowing somebody is, it's hard to give advice. It's um, it's like speaking to a doctor over the phone about what's wrong with you. Dealing with dealing with uh, stage fright is is as serious as dealing with any other illness, and it has to be personalized with the person. In front of you, seeing what they go through, knowing that person, knowing their, knowing the history of that person, knowing what their life has been. It's, I don't, to answer your question, I don't have an answer. I know what works for me. For me, is to stay positive, think positive, work hard, and know that I am prepared.
0: All right, what's a non-musical activity that contributes to your success as a musician? I write. I right. write
1: continuously uh, liter- uh, literature. I write Ooh. for the Instrumentalist magazine in the United States. Really? I write. Um, uh, not bi-monthly, but I write at least four or five articles a year since 2007, 2006. Nice. Um, I write on all kinds of topics related to brass playing and trumpet in specific, obviously. And I published a book through, I don't know if I could do a plug, but I published a book through Oxford university press called buzz de brilliance and no, it is not about buzzing that hundreds of people have asked me, but I thought it was a great catchphrase, like from buzzing your mouthpiece to playing brilliant on the trumpet. And people all over the world ask me, "So, what is your buzzing book about?" And I'm like, "It's not a buzzing book. It's just a, a catchphrase that I thought was cool that has come back to be uh <laughs> <reasonable>. <laughs> But it's a it's a book that is about a beginning to intermediate trumpet playing. That's it. A lot of stuff's been written about how to be an advanced trumpet player, but I I took it from Day 1 of you go with your parents or guardians to pick up your trumpet, you open it up the case at home and that's where the the class starts. All
0: right, Adrian, do you have a website?
1: I sure do. It's www.adriangriffin.com.
0: All right, adriangriffin.com. Check them out. Also the Buzz to Brilliance published by Oxford University Press. Adrian, this has been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us.
1: Thank you, my friend. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be here.
0: Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. Are you a true listener? Visit trumpetdynamics.com to learn more about the show and subscribe to my email newsletter. You can also find us on Facebook, where we record a live Pay It Forward Friday episode each Friday at 10 AM Eastern Standard Time. Just type in James Newcomb on into your browser to find the Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we will be in your earballs soon. still here. You must like this show or something. Well, I've got a special offer for you for hanging in there to the very end and proving yourself to be a true listener. I have a brand new, and it is exclusive for devoted fans of the Trumpet Dynamics podcast. It is called The Secret Chamber of Don Clarino. It's brand new. I... Don't even know what's going to come of it. I'm honestly not even really involved in it, but I'm contractually obligated to tell you about it as an employee of the Trumpet Dynamics podcast. So if you want to learn more about it, here's the URL. TrumpetDynamics.live forward slash DC TrumpetDynamics.live forward slash DC. There's a short registration process and you'll be in there. Okay. I don't know if I'm even allowed to be in there, honestly, but check it out. See if you like it. Later.